the Pride Podcast. So welcome to the Pride Podcast, uh, the podcast for professionals in doctoral education. Uh, my name is Lukas Zinner. I'm working at the University of Vienna and I'm also a member of the board of the Pride Network and one of its founders. Today, it's my pleasure to talk with Professor Marese Nerat. She's actually located in Seattle, so I wish you a very good morning. And thank you very much for accepting the invitation to spend some time with me. Well, I'm very pleased. <laughs> I'm specifically since Vienna. My family background and my name, even Marese, is Austrian. <laughs> It indicates a close affinity to those part of the world. I would like to speak with Marese about the role and the importance of central PhD offices. But uh, before I start, I would like to introduce Professor Marese Nera to our audience. To begin with, Marese Nera is very well known in the field. She is founding director of the Center for Innovation and Research in Graduate Education. And she's professor now, Professor Emerita for Higher Education in the College of Education at the University of Washington in Seattle. She is a native of Germany, as she said already. Marisa received her doctorate, however, from the University of California in Berkeley. She directed research in the Central Credit Division of UC Berkeley for 15 years, served as Dean in Residence of the Council of Credit Schools in DC, which actually is the professional association of US credit deans, as your for your information. And she served as associate uh, dean of the University of Washington Central Credit School. She was appointed as Migania Fellow, if I pronounce it correctly, by the Postgraduate School of the University of Melbourne in Australia. She was a professor extraordinary by the University of the Free State, South Africa, received a Fulbright Specialist Award and was visiting professor at the Technical University in Darmstadt in Germany, at Nagoya University in Japan, and at the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore, India. She has served in many, and I still, I think she still is serving in many international review committees and advisory boards, and has written several books, five of them, and published numerous articles on doctoral education in the last decades. Before we come to the main point of our conversation, uh, let me ask you as an expert, being involved and actually also observing doctoral education for several decades, what do you perceive as significant changes in doctoral education globally over the last decades? But let's say, especially in the, during the last year when you published the book or you edited the book towards a global PhD for certain forms in doctoral education, which is still a relevant source of information. And just as a final comment, we will uh, put a reference list of relevant literature on, on the bottom side of the, of the podcast when, we, when it's published. So there are newer books also of interest. So one of our observations is certainly the emergence of structures like doctoral schools, which becomes uh, in many universities in many countries now the standard. And in countries like Denmark or France, even the Conditio Sine Qua Non to provide a PhD. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I would divide it in two parts. There are really major changes on what I call the macro level 
on the policy level of nations. And then there are major changes within the micro level. That would I call really down where we are in, in doctoral education and which concerns the individual person and the professoriate. So let me just briefly say, one, we can see worldwide a really quite enormous increase in the well, production. There are, not, there are people, I should say, in other words, in, in PhDs, who um, people who get a PhDs. There are more women. There are more older people getting now a PhDs. There are more international students and also coming from the global south and the global north. So there is quite a, I can say, an exchange going worldwide. And it has both its reason. Everybody wants the best person and the university. But also in countries, it depends on their governmental setup. Uh, it's also a question of income, of revenues. So, you know, in countries like in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, also in the US, although that's different, uh, people have to pay fees. And if you are not native of the country, you pay more. However, I say in the US, that's not so much the case because someone who does a doctorate needs to be funded by the department. So there's not an issue to bring money. Okay. Then there is really worldwide that universities, and I would say now finally, <laughs> working closer really with society around them and also with our other sectors of society, industry, business, government, nonprofits. And in order to do that, there was really also a different way of the working together. So the more collaborations. What we also see that more national and supranational, for example, I think of the European Union, or they are with Brazil and other countries, or within Africa, more collaboration. But problems, if you take just climate change, one of the big problems, have become very complicated. So we really need a more interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary approach to solve problems. And that is now has become aware worldwide. That doesn't mean that research in an individual discipline is, is obsolete, but we need both. And we need to train the next generation for both. And I said there are a lot more um, could details, a lot more arrangements with other countries, which are wonderful, but require a lot of acumen and understanding of policy regulation and how to make it work smoothly. And within the EU, the Marie Curie fellowships and doctoral programs are great. But if they don't have really fantastic, often called administrative staff, who know how to deal with the currency between, who know the policy from your university, so that then the doctoral candidates get the degree <laughs> from both, it's very difficult. But we see that worldwide. Another one I would say is 
both a little bit by external forces, governments, but also internally, the universities now all want research universities, world-class universities. And unfortunately, the various ranking schemes by the uh, London Times Educational Supplement Ranking or whatever there's out there, really, I would say, has not brought the best out in organizations. But there is a certain benchmarking which is useful. But this wanting to become world-class has heightened or brought the attention to, of doctoral education to the governmental level. So it, in countries, for example, in India, who now really wants to also have world-class university, finally more money is given to universities and research but, as you can hear, they are problematic if it's only to come in ranking, which are often just quantitative formulas and really not go at the core, get at the core of, of the education and training. Then, understandable of so much going on and expansion going on, more doctor program existing is an implementation of an international quality standards. So we now have various accreditation agencies which also uh, come into play in of doctoral education. And they're really very different models and modes. And um, most common is now a model used, which comes actually originally from industry, from business, that you focus on input when you admit someone on throughput, what's the process, how they're getting through, and then on output and outcome. And then it's fairly easy. So one really looks at the doctor program, not just the dissertation and the quality, but one looks what happens in between. And that, I think, is very important, and that's why I feel Coming then to our topic, a graduate school is so important because we need to look at the entire process from the beginning of admitting someone to the end and then getting to a job and so on. And what we see now that may be less interesting, or maybe it is for Austria or for Europe, no, it is important. Countries like India, but also France, Germany, South Africa, all tries to bring their international students back home. And I don't know if you're aware, there are various very prestigious fellowships to bring them back home. Of course, we may be more alarmed sometimes by Chinese. We welcome them, and specifically here on the West Coast, we have many Chinese doctoral students, and we all thought we really welcome them on the individual level, they have a good experience. But now we see a lot of knowledge and we hope it's used well when they go back. So this is on the macro level. On the micro level, it's really that I say, and many of us we see, more is demanded of our doctoral candidates. In addition to the traditional academic skills like um, you know, being able to synthesize critical thinking, research design and method, analysis, all of that, and knowing about research ethics and so on, they now also need to acquire professional skills. 
And that is not only often people say, oh, yes, because there are not enough jobs anymore in academia. Therefore, they need now professional skills like how to work in teams, how to present complicated topics to a lay audience to understand. So if someone who does a PhD in mathematics, people like me who's a social scientist can also understand things like this. Grant writing. But it's also because we know in the meantime, even if people stay in academia, they need to know that. And not just because people saying, oh, because they go to industry or government and non-profit. Actually, academic people need that too. And the last one, what they need is in addition, is really intercultural competence. They need the skills, yeah. So, and that also is for our faculty, our professors. As you know, in the US, we call professors everyone who teach faculty, and that's confusing, faculty. So our professors, that means to really um, work with people and understand them from different backgrounds, gender, culture, religion, and and be able to work together in a in a collective and inclusive community and know how to make that successful. So long talk, but these I think are the main issues worldwide. Let's come to your article you have published in The Future of Doctoral Research, which is a book which was edited by Anne Lee and Rob Boomgard earlier this year. The title of your article, which you wrote together with CM Bay, is entitled, Is it time for a central campus of to ensure quality in doctoral education in the 21st century? And if I may quote, you started your article with something you were obviously confronted with. So say, just another level of administration, more regulations, questions mark. And you say, this is often the response we get when we and others propose a central campus office devoted to advancing master's, doctoral and postdoctoral affairs to research universities in countries where such offices do not exist. So my question is, what is your reply to this? Why do you think the central offices are so important? What is their role? How do they function? Okay. I, I would start, as I say, it's not an administrative octopus, but it's an educational catalyst. That's, I think, is the key. So the roles are, well, first is really to facilitate the performance of research by the students as well as by professors and other academic staff, postdocs, so on. Second, it would be really to align the doctoral education with the overall university mission and strategic plan. So it puts it really in the center, and that needs to be understood because research universities, that's what they are, and doctoral education is a key part. Third, it really fosters intellectual innovation. That's the, the part which has an overview of what's going on in a university and has good contact to outside units, organizations, similar schools as they are in other countries, knows about policy development at the European Commission and European Union level. So it brings into the campus all those 
good idea, and I never talk about best practice. I always say they're promising practice because we need to adopt them, but we can learn from others. And then it would be really to optimize as we can the doctoral candidate's experience. And with this, and as I already said, look at the quality that we're not just producing more, but really having a quality doctoral experience which is fair and adheres to social justice, inclusion and and criteria. And the last one is with that quality is kind of, I would say, in a very positive way, mentor progress and undertakes research to understand where there are problems. So when we are not mentor, mentor too, but monitor progress. So if we monitor, we see something maybe not so good, but then not come with a whip, but then, okay, let's just understand what's going on there. How can we help and support that this will be improved? And these are really the important key functions. Why it's so important to have such a central unit who has the time, the staff, and the commitment and the ear of the rector or president to really follow through and follow up and have it all aligned. So it's the voice for PhD education within an institution as well. Exactly. So it's the watchdog, but also the facilitator and the ones who put brings people together. Exactly. So in, in Europe, we have many. So there are universities with one doctoral or graduate school, but there are also universities who have established many doctoral schools, disciplinary based. So what would you say are the links between such a central office and the doctoral schools? So work. How can they work together, and how can they maybe benefit from each other? Well, that's wonderful that you address this because it's already such a benefit. There are graduate schools who um, say in the engineering, in the social science, in the humanities, in the arts, whatever. They are there and they have doctoral education and postdoc and research training in the heart of their endeavor. And then having an overall campus um, unit which really convenes them and brings them together so they can inform each other what worked and what didn't work. And then one can learn from each other. So it's really being um, an initiator, a convener, that's an important part, and then a catalyst, and then can work with the central administration And we people work always very good on incentives and rewards. So have, for example, it would be a unit who, if in a particular graduate school, funding for going to an international conference runs out for students, that there's a small fund that come to the central unit and, and help out. So it's, it's a both, I would say, um, initiator and catalyst but also an educational support unit between these many graduate schools and who helps them to motherly, fatherly monitor what's going on and distribute the good news and helps out learning from each other. 
so in that sense, an educational support unit, it can it sees what's happening in the different graduate schools, what kind of professional workshops are there, but what kind of professional skill training is not available, and then offers it. In some of the graduate schools, I don't know how, it depends how big they are, there may be only a few international students. And one and in others, there are many. So the international students where there are few, they may be a little bit lonely and, and not recognized. And one cannot put them all together. They're just, as other people, very different when they come from Asia, from Japan, they come from Africa, they come from Latin America. So one needs a bit of understanding and expertise and put them together, for example, with your Office of International Relationship or whatever you have. So that would be a function of the central office between those graduate schools, see what's there, what's not, where it's a gap, where they can offer something, or where they can disseminate the good news and the knowledge acquired. And I already said, and then is one which I found very important, is really out of that have small institutional research. That means good data collection, and not just for the budget office in the rector's office, which is good, and every university, public university, has requirement to the government for data dissemination. But really doing, for example, um, a little study. Why is it that in this department the attrition rate is fairly big? Why are so many doctoral students when they start out? Why are they leaving before finishing? And not as a sanctioning, but, you know, really, what's the result wrong? Maybe we can, doing interviews, doing a small research, maybe doing a small survey. So understanding the problems and then helping out, and then coming back and really talking after two years. Now, how did this help? How did this work out? So they know that they are not left alone, but they're also watched. It's collecting data, not for the sake of controlling, but collecting data for the sake of learning. Exactly. And improving. Exactly. And possible launching some policy, university internal policy, which then can be brought up to the Academic Senate. For example, um, at the University of California, we established a policy. The doctoral program is a bit different than in Austria, I know. Um, They have first structured program with coursework, and then they have qualifying exam, and then they have the dissertation proposal. And when that is accepted, then often students take hardly any any classes, maybe a certain method classes, advanced statistics or something. But so we had then the policy that at least once a year, at least, um, that the doctoral committee needs to meet and the student tell what's the progress and what didn't work, what worked, and then what's the plan for the next year. And when we implemented that, which often the central graduate school like gives a minimum requirement, our scientists said, are you crazy? We meet every week. And the social scientists, humanities said, okay, we meet once a year at least, maybe. We do. So we 
we in the central unit, we really try to bridge the different disciplines, but have at least minimum needed requirement for a certain standard. And another thing is, is really, I think, uh, as I said, serve as an advocate to the top administration, but also have an ombud system for our doctoral student and postdocs. We are human beings, not everything always goes right. And I think specifically now around patent, you know, who has worked on the patent, who gets credit. I mean, there are issues. So that's an issue. And really allowing and training them for leadership, that means that the doctoral student have an organization and representatives, and the central graduate school works with them. That could be from each of those other graduate schools, disciplinary, could be people, but that's a very important learning opportunity for the next step in leadership. Yeah, you touched upon a little bit on, on it already, but as you know, we are the the Bright Network is the Association for Professionals in Doctor Education. So this is kind of the straightforward question: How do you see the role of higher education professionals in these central offices? So what kind of profile are we looking at? What are we expecting? You have worked with these people over decades, I guess. So, your thoughts on that? I think um, it's actually, I think, a wonderful job and a very important job also for people who have a PhD, but um, choose not to become a professor or maybe they are in a certain field if you got your PhD, say, in a certain history of something and there's no position open. It's a very rewarding um, task to work in such, uh, both in a disciplinary graduate school as a coordinator, manager, but in the central graduate school. And as you heard, there um, could be for a researcher, and the data analysis. It could be really for an initiator of um, new programmatic effects. It could be, you know, really collaborating and knowing, uh, working with the doctoral students in the various fields, what is needed, what's done, working with the international students. So it's actually quite advantageous and exciting for someone who has a doctorate. But does not need to be necessary all a doctorate. Um, in some, uh, it needs a financial specialist, as I said, like dealing with the European Union and the different policy or maybe even a legal specialist. Um, it needs also journalistic skills to have um, a good communication and dissemination to the various disciplinary graduate school and academic senate and so on, what's new policies around, what happens around in Europe, what happens around in the world. Um, for example, the initiatives about open science. You know, so um, these things, so it could be uh, someone who likes to write, who is very creative, like here with uh, 
podcast with video, very good website, visual presentation. And um, I know from, for example, the Humboldt University in Germany and others, slowly starting some fundraising. Alumni really are happy to give for certain incidents some money and saying, I didn't have such a great experience or I had a great experience and I really would love that the next generation has that too. So there's so many interesting parts and jobs for a professional. Yeah. You say there are so many parts, so many tasks which might be predefined, but there is also a lot of space to be creative and come up with your own ideas. Exactly. Yeah? Which is not you're not told to do, but you're a kind of your own motivation, your own creativity, you start some kind of initiatives in this respect. I promise to talk about 15 to 20 minutes. We, have, we are close to 30 now. <laughs> a final question from my side. I don't know if everybody likes this question, but nonetheless, I ask it. What can we in Europe, continental Europe, learn from the US? Hmm. Is there something? So you are maybe a split personality <laughs> I don't know but you know both systems pretty well no, but what yes I do but what I think it depends you know what aspects we touched on many and I mean one aspect I think is I think the the position of a graduate dean is a useful one and which works full-time in that central graduate office and not is simultaneously the vice provost for all of research and all of that. It's just too much, you know, one only a day has, as someone said, 24 hours in the night. So you give the right importance to the to doctoral education or to postgraduate education and to the, to the issues related to postdocs. You say there is... There should be one person who, who kind of uh, takes the responsibility to whenever doctoral education or postdoctoral education or training must be might be affected, has something to say, and to think about what might be the uh, the impact on what we are doing when it comes to doctoral education. And communicating that, being on the table consistently with the vice rector or president to always have that in mind. And when funding decisions are made, when strategic planning is bringing that to the table. So reflecting the institutional responsibility also with the dedicated job uh, and not just one task of many other or one responsibilities of many others. Yeah. And that okay. often may be that this position actually is a, a dual position or in tandem with someone who may be given European universities, maybe more on the administrative side, but is has a PhD her or himself working together with someone who is a dean who maybe a professor and and sits there and being recognized as as like a tandem mm -hmm. yeah very interesting i think universities are developing this way and the more mature we are and to say uh Maresi told me that when you expect any change in an institution uh be patient for at least 10 years <laughs> 
So not all the doctoral schools or graduate schools in Europe are of this age yet. Yeah, so we'll see how, how this develops. So uh, many thanks for this conversation. Uh, Maresi, I think we have some more topics to follow up in the future. Uh, so we will see. Let me, first of all, thank you again for, for taking your time on a Friday morning in Seattle. Uh, I would also like to conclude with an announcement. We will do uh, our masterclass in Dubrovnik late August or first week of September. Uh, we are optimistic to do it as a face-to-face uh, event. So we will restart uh, networking in real. And the topic of the masterclass will be effectiveness of doctoral schools, which is maybe closely related to the role of central offices. Yeah. Uh, so are we doing the right things? And of course, then, are we doing it in the right way? Uh, and Marisa Nerat will be one of our keynote speakers there. Uh, unfortunately, online, but we can discuss if you have time to travel. Uh, so if I, you have some final words for us, Marisa? Well, first, I really want to thank you for the uh, thinking of me and for the honor to speak and discuss with you. I enjoyed it very much myself and learned something. Um, so I, I think you were very much in good hand with Lucas. And um, last word is be open, be creative, listen to the base, listen to your variety of doctoral students, do needs assessment. And I know from there it will be great. And I'm happy to talk again, specific questions. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Marisi.